you here today. Welcome to the Lord's house. Uh, man, what a great day to be here and to fellowship with each other and to hear from God. I'm going to do more teaching today than preaching, uh, and that's okay because we need to be taught the Word of God as well. So make sure you have your bulletin on the back side. There's a place to take notes. I'm going to have three points with a whole lot of bullet points, and you need to write this stuff down because it can help you in your everyday life. Uh, normally at the second service we have about 400 people here. I don't know how many people we have here today. It's a long weekend, a lot of, a lot of gaps, a lot of people are gone, uh, maybe 300, 320, something like that. But here's what I do know. All of us in this room, every one of us, 100%, everyone here deals with the same thing. Every one of us in this room this past week have faced temptation. Now, it comes in different forms because uh, the devil knows each one of us personally. And the Bible says we are not ignorant of his devices. And so he knows what gets to you. And so he custom makes temptations for you. He spends all weeks making traps and snares and hoping you will fall into them. So here's what I know. Every one of us, all of us, 100%, raise your hand if you're listening to me. Okay, come on, even if you're not, raise your hand. I want everybody to raise your hand. That means you, all of us, have faced temptation this week. Now, there's nothing, uh, there's not a sin in facing temptation because we all face temptation. The sin comes when we give in to that temptation and when we say yes to it. Now, here's the deal. If you are a Christian here today and you have Jesus as your Savior, you do not have to sin. You don't have to sin. God has given you everything you need to resist that temptation. So you don't have to sin. However, I, I know we live in a real world, and, and let's just be real about it. There are times that we do sin. There are times that we do give in. I told the first service a couple of weeks ago, this big massive list came out. It's called the uh, Ashley Madison list. Uh, supposedly there's 37 million names, uh, email addresses on that list of people who, who at least went to the website and looked into the possibility of committing adultery and having an affair. Uh, what, what alarmed me more than anything is that it was reported this past Sunday, after that list came out a couple of weeks ago, that this past Sunday probably an estimated 400 pastors resigned their churches because they gave in to a temptation. Now, understand, and it's getting real sober in here and real quiet. Understand, we all face temptation. You don't have to sin. You don't have to give in. But what if you do? What if you give in? Is there recovery? Is there hope? Is there forgiveness? The good news is, yes, there is. Amen for that. Yes, there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today, Psalm 51. I'll be reading that psalm in just a moment. Uh, before we get to that, I've got another passage I'll share with you. In 14 of the psalms, we are told the exact circumstances that inspired the writer to compose the psalm. In this case, we have an inscription here. And here's what the inscription says right before the psalm. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So David has composed a psalm or a song out of an experience from his own life. Remember the psalms are 
faith songs. And so he composed this psalm and he gave it to the choir director to lead the people in worship to God. David is writing about something that plunged him into what may well have been the darkest chapter of the king's life. An experience that flooded his soul with enormous regrets and guilt until he dealt with it before God. When the prophet Nathan came to David after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now church, before we can fully understand the power of this psalm, we need to go back and be reminded of the events that led to this cleansing encounter that David had with God. And that story is recorded over in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And if you mark in your Bibles, you'll see that, that it was just a few months ago that I preached from 2 Samuel chapter 11. In fact, it was at the beginning of the summer in the month of June. We were doing the series You, Me, and We. And I was talking to you about surviving marriage storms. And we read this story. I decided back then in June that at the end of the summer, I would preach on the corresponding chapter that goes with 2 Samuel chapter 11, and that is today's sermon in Psalms chapter 51. But we're given the background here in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, and he walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now David is blown away by this news. He is stunned by what he has heard. And he tries to cover up his sinful actions by calling her husband, Uriah the Hittite, home from the battlefield. David thinks that, okay, Uriah's been out fighting the battle. He's going to get a leave. He's going to get to come home. He'll go home, have relationships with his wife. Uh, He'll think the baby is his and everything is going to be okay. It didn't turn out like that. Uriah declined the privilege of going home and sleeping with his wife while his fellow soldiers were still on the battlefield. And so David's plan is blown up. You know what? Every good king has a backup plan. And David had plan number two. He had Uriah the Hittite brought to the front line of the fighting and Uriah was killed in battle. David killed Uriah the Hittite And then he immediately married Bathsheba, trying to cover up his sin that way. Let me fast forward in 2 Samuel 11, read verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and she bore David a son. And in David's mind, everything is settled. He's managed his sin. He's arranged this great cover-up. But David has yet to face God. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27b, it says, 
but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. About a year goes by and David's still sitting on the throne of Israel. He, he thinks that he has covered everything up and managed the situation rather shrewdly. But remember, the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, hadn't it? And, and so at this time, the Lord sends Nathan, the prophet, to David. And Nathan confronts David with his sin. And David is absolutely crushed. And he finally confesses in chapter 12, verse 13 to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You're right, Nathan. I sinned against God. And church, listen to me. This is what God's after. If we give in to temptation and if we sin, what God wants is for us to confess that sin. Lord, I've sinned against you. That's what conviction is all about. That's what it's supposed to do. To bring us to a place where we are honest about our sin and willing to confess. Notice what Nathan immediately says to David in chapter 12 verse 13. The Lord has taken away your sin and you're not going to die. That's what God was waiting on. David to confess when he did Nathan the prophet said, okay, David, you've confessed. The Lord's taken away your sin, and, and you're not going to die because of your sin. But then he immediately says in verse 14, but because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord to show utter contempt, the son that you have born will surely die. David's sin is forgiven, but there are consequences. And church, Mark this down, guys. I mean, you can sin, you will sin, you know, and there are consequences to your sin. There always will be. Hmm. The consequences of David's sin is going to touch the life of an innocent child. And David is going to have to live with that the rest of his life. Out of this experience, though, David shows us what to do when we are absolutely overwhelmed with the regrets and guilts that come from what we have done. When we, when we face the reality of our own sinfulness, when we realize that we have fallen short of the glory of God, th this is what we need to know. Are you ready? We need to know three things when we're ready to seek God's forgiveness. Number one, we need to know what is true about God. Verse 1 of Psalm 51. Go back to our key text, Psalm 51. Here's what verse 1 says. David cried, Have mercy on me, O God. That's a pretty good way to start a, a prayer of confession, I think. And this is a penitent psalm. David is confessing. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Church, you need to understand the prayer, have mercy, is a prayer for God to act according to his nature. And that's what, that's what David is asking. God, would you just be God to me? Would you be my God? What, what is true about God? Well, he lists three things that are true about God. Our God is a God of mercy. Wait, I need some amens on that. Even though I'm teaching, I need amens there. He is a God of mercy. His mercy is, is this free, unmerited grace and favor that we don't deserve. 
that God gives to us. David knew that he didn't deserve forgiveness. What David needed was God's mercy. And church, I remind you, we don't need justice. We need mercy. I think I've told you this story before. It happened, oh, I don't know, 25, 26 years ago. I was living down in Pine Bluff, pastoring the church there. And a friend of mine down in Texas, he, he lived in Bryan, Texas College Station. He asked me to come preach a revival. And, and uh, so I was to start the revival on a Sunday morning and go through a, a Wednesday night. But I had a wedding to do on, on that Saturday night. So I couldn't leave uh, Pine Bluff till, till late. It was like 9 or 10 o'clock when I finally left Pine Bluff. Had to drive down and navigate my way through the great state of Texas down to College Station, Bryan area. And I was almost there. I'd been driving all night. It was close to 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was going to have to preach here in just a few hours. Man, I was, I was just burning up the road. I was going about as fast as preachers can go, you know. Nobody was out, man, on these desolate two-lane runs there in Texas. I went through this little town. It's just a little podunk town there in Texas right before I got to Bryan. At 3 o'clock in the morning, everybody's asleep. Even the dogs were asleep, man. Everybody was asleep except one guy. And he decided to have a visit with me. And so he pulled me over and uh, he said, do you know how fast you were going? And I said, yes, sir, I do know how fast I was going. And I gave him my best preacher story. <laughs> but he wrote me a ticket anyway. And he said, I know you don't live here, so uh, here's the judge's name and the judge's phone number. You need to give her a call and she'll tell you how much the fine is and, and you can send it in. Well, I started the revival, told Brother Bill what had happened on the way. And, and the next day on, on Monday, he hooked me up with his head deacon. It's an older guy in the church. And, and uh, he said, uh, Brother Will, can I see the ticket that you got? And I showed him the ticket and he said, yeah, that's what I thought. He said, I know this judge. In fact, I've known her since she was a little girl. She grew up uh, coming to my house playing with, with my daughter. They were best friends. You call that judge and you just tell him, tell her what the deal is and you tell her that you know me. He said everything will be okay. Okay. Now you tell me, what would you do in a situation like that? You know? So I did tell you, I did do it. I called her and gave her this sad story, and I told her who I was and who I knew and what had happened. I was there preaching the revival. And then she said to me, here's what this judge lady said. She said, Mr. Harmon, just what do you want from me? Just what do you want from me? I don't know. I was inspired by God, I guess. I said, well, I certainly don't want justice. I'm begging for mercy. It was a good answer and I got out of it. But I'm going to tell you what, you don't need God's justice. You don't need God's justice. You need his mercy. What's true about God? He is a God of mercy. Number two, he is a God of loving kindness. His unfailing love. This is one of the most important words in all the Old Testament. I think it's right up there with the holiness of God. God's loving kindness. His unfailing love. It is faithful, steadfast love that is rooted in a relationship with Him. This is important for us to know about God because we can easily think that God changes His feeling towards us when we sin. And I want to tell you, He doesn't. God still loved David as much as he loved him before. You go back and read 2 Samuel again. What does the verse say? The thing 
David did displeased the Lord. The sin David committed displeased God. But God still loved David. And you need to hear this. God still loves you. I don't care what path you've taken or what you've done. God loves you. Your sin displeases him. He hates the sin. But I'm telling you, he loves you. The third thing that is true about God is that he is a God of great compassion. This verse talks about the multitude of his tender mercies. These surging, passionate love mercies that he gives us. It's really another word for God's mercy that David uses here. But it's qualified with the word great. This is God's much compassion. This is God's abundant compassion. God is great in his mercy. So when you fall into sin, you need to know this about God. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of loving kindness. He is a God of great compassion. But number two, we need to know what is true also about our sin. Not only what is true about God, but what is true about our sin. In the Hebrew language, there were three words used to describe sin. And it's interesting that David uses all three of those Hebrew words when he talks about his sin. Number one, it is transgression that needs to be blotted out. Verse 1c says, God blot out my transgressions. That is, my deliberate rebellion against the will of God. And David prays that these transgressions be blotted out. That phrase, blotted out, means to wipe the stain clean. In fact, it was a word used to describe records that were erased. Reminds me of the story of of Martin Luther, the, the founder of the Protestant Reformation. One night Luther was having a hard time going to sleep because he was was flooded with the guilt of his own sin. That ever happened to you? I mean, right before you go to bed, you're thinking about all the bad things you've done. Well, He he was flooded by by his own sin. He fell asleep and he had a dream. And in that dream, he saw this, this huge, enormous blackboard. And there was an angel floating in front of the blackboard writing with chalk all of Martin Luther's sins. And as he looked at these thousands of sins, he said he shuddered to think there is no way God will ever forgive me of all of these sins. But then he said in his dream, he he saw this pierced hand come over his sins and write, but the blood of Jesus Christ God's Son cleanses us from all of our sins. And then he said he saw from that hand blood coming from the nail-pierced mark and it covered all of Luther's sins on the chalkboard and washed them away. That's what he can do for you. He can blot out your transgressions. Number two, our sin is iniquity and it needs to be washed away. Verse 2 literally says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. The word iniquity means the inner crookedness of our fallen nature and the guilt that goes along with it. And there is guilt. And that needs to be washed away. That phrase washed away means to reach into the fiber of a life and wash out the ingrained filth. In fact, it really compares forgiveness with the washing of clothes. 
How many of y'all know how to wash clothes? It's easy for us. We put them in a washing machine. Push the button. Don't forget to add soap, all right? And it does it for us. But years ago, back when I was a kid, we had to wash them by hand. <laughs> I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm not that old. Yeah? And, and you had to really labor to get those dirty, soiled garments clean. But, but there is a personal element to the original text here. It says, wash me like, like I am the dirty garment that's soiled. God, wash me. I spent seven years in Pine Bluff. We had some great families there. One family that, that was just a huge family in the church was the Puckett family. Uh, Granny Puckett, she had three boys. Uh, Jim was a preacher, lived in Oklahoma. She had two sons living there at home. Uh, Roy's the oldest. Uh, the whole time I was there, Roy didn't go to church. Uh, and after I left, he, he got his life right with Christ and, and came back to church. And then he had a brother, Ron, and Ron's family is very close to us. But, but Roy had a wife whose name was Lynn. Lynn was just this little bitty woman, very, very small, petite little woman. And uh, she, her and Roy had four boys. Kind of reminds me of this couple right here. Except Jason is in church. Okay, that's good. But anyway, four boys. And those four boys were, I mean, they're, they're just like your four boys. They're just, just boys that love outdoors. They love to go hunting and fishing. These four boys were awesome. They were awesome athletes, all four of them. Just really rugged young men. They were they were. You know, just, wow, they're great kids. And they'd go out and they'd, they'd spend all day outside. And, and uh, Lynn would say she, sometimes she'd go get them from football or wherever they'd been. And they'd just be, they'd be filthy. They'd be dirty, nasty. Their clothes would be soiled. They'd be stinking. And before she brought them home, she would stop at the car wash. And she'd make all four of those boys unload out of the, out of the truck. And she'd line them up there against the wall of the car wash. She'd put a quarter in the machine and take that wand. And she'd just spray them down. Turn, on, turn around, boys, and get their backside. And she'd just do the wash, do the rinse. I don't know if she put wax on them or not. But I said, Lynn, that had to hurt. She said, I don't care. They weren't coming in my house that filthy. In the same kind of way, that's what David is praying here. Lord, Lord, please wash away my iniquity. Then you need to understand that our, our sin is a wrong that needs to be cleansed. Verse 2b says, cleanse me from my sin. Sin is a specific wrong. It is an offense against God. And this wrong needs to be cleansed. Cleansing removes the sin. Our sin is a barrier between us and God. Late, later, David spoke of the same thing in verse 7. He says, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. We know in temple worship, the, the priest would sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice on the altar and he used the branch of a hyssop plant to do that. He would fling the blood with the branch of the hyssop. And that's what David is praying here. Purge me with hyssop so I can be clean. But you know what? There's something else we need to realize about our sin. That is this. We cannot escape the realization of it. Verse 3, David cried, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Remember, it was about a year before 
this that, that, that all of this happened, a, a year has gone by that David has been living in his sin. Every day he had to think about that. Every day he had to loathe himself for what he had done. Let me tell you something. You can't be a born-again Christian and feel comfortable living in your sin. The job of the Holy Spirit is to convict you. And I know this for sure right now. If, if there is unconfessed sin in your life, God's ringing your number right now. And, and you, can't, you can't be happy with it. Why? Because you can't escape the realization of it. Number two, it, it is a, an offense that you've made against God. Your sin is an offense against God. Verse 4, David prayed, Against you, Lord, and you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Now, I understand there were other people hurt by David's sin. Bathsheba was hurt. Her husband Uriah was killed. A baby died. The people of Israel suffered because their king was living in sin. But the great tragedy was that what David had done was an offense against God. The consequences of your sin. Other people are going to be affected by it. Yes. It's going to mess up your life. Sure. But the bigger problem is it's an offense against God. You have sinned against the king of the universe. Your sin is an outright attack and rebellion against God. Man. Number four, it's something that is ingrained in us. Number three, it's ingrained in us. Verse five, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Here, here we have the Old Testament description of the doctrine of original sin. Adam and Eve sinned, and they passed on to us that sin disease. We are all born bent out of God's intended shape so that we fall short of God's perfect design for our life. And that is no excuse for us to go ahead and live in sin. Ultimately, we choose to sin. But understand, you are a sinner by nature. You are born into your sin, but you're also a sinner by choice. In order to be able to overcome our regrets and our guilt over our own sin, we need to know what is true about God, and we need to know what is true about our sin. But finally, number three, we need to know what is true about forgiveness. Forgiveness is just a plea away. I like to say it like this, forgiveness is just a prayer away. And David realized that. David was a a great sinner, but David was also a great repenter. (laughs) And he started his prayer outright, Lord, have mercy on me. But church, we, we need to understand, we can't play games with God when it comes to forgiveness. We need to know that there is much more to forgiveness than just being on speaking terms with God again. No, the forgiveness of the Lord is intended to go much deeper than that. And David knew it. Something something was lost in David's life that he needed to have restored. 
And that was his relationship with God. So when you have true forgiveness, there is a restored joy. Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. David had spent a year under the convicting power of God's Spirit. It was crushing him. He felt the the crush of conviction every day. He had lost his joy. And only God could restore it. In fact, in verse 12, he prays again, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Listen, if you have been estranged from God because of a sin problem, you know the sorrow of lost joy. I mean, there's nothing joyful in your life. When when things are out of sort between you and God, there, there is no joy. But you know, when you come and ask God to forgive you, He restores the joy. There's happiness once again. Number two, there's restored purity. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, a clean heart, O God. Only God can do that. Only God can reach into your heart and purify you and cleanse you. That reminds me of 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God can cleanse you today. He can forgive you. He can wash your slate clean. But you have to confess. You have to confess. Number three, there is restored stability. Again, verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This steadfast spirit is an established, firm, unwavering spirit. David wants no more of the instability that he's gone through. And you know what? That that is torment in life, to to live a a life of instability. You you were made to live your life on the rock. The rock Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can give stability in a world that's gone crazy. And so when you ask for forgiveness, there is restored stability. Number four, there is restored fellowship with God. Verse 11. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. You see, I think David vividly remembered that God had removed his spirit from King Saul. Remember that story? Saul sinned against God and so God withdrew his spirit from King Saul because of his sin. David doesn't want the same thing to happen to him. And church, make no mistake about it. If you sin, it will disrupt your fellowship with God. But when you confess, that fellowship is restored. Number five, there is restored ministry. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. I think David was was not content with just being forgiven and cleansed. He wanted to serve God. And he said, Lord, there, there is no better way that I can serve you than to go out and teach other sinners your ways. You know, that is so true. If, if you have gone through a, a difficult time in your life, perhaps a, a sin that you, you gave into and you committed, but then you've been restored and forgiven, you, you've got a story to tell. 
Because there are other people going through the exact same thing you went through. You, you, came, you passed the test though. Yeah, you made an A. You've been forgiven. You can help them and that's what David wanted. Finally, number six, there is restored worship. David needed to restore his faith song. Verse 14, save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. I tell you, forgiveness becomes real when we have experienced God's grace and are able to worship Him again. You know, it just dawned on me. David was a great praise writer. He wrote so many songs to God. I can only imagine that, that during this barren year in his life, he didn't write a single psalm. During this difficult time, he didn't have a song to sing because the joy was gone. I don't know, maybe you walked in this building this, this morning and, and during the singing, as the praise team was leading us, you, you, your mouth was moving. Maybe, maybe it wasn't, but maybe you, your mouth was moving, your, your lips were, were going, but you were faking it. You were faking it. Because let me tell you, I know from experience, you, you can't worship God when there's unconfessed sin in your life. You, you can't have that kind of fellowship with the Lord. But I tell you, once you come to Jesus and confess your sins, boy, I tell you what, things change and there is a song in your heart and you can worship God once again. As David looked back on this dark chapter in his life, he would never forget he would never forget the day that baby died because of his sin. He would never forget that man who died because of his sin. There was the disgrace of everyone in Israel knowing what he had done. There was the inner storm that for over a year consumed his life. But I want you to know all of that was overwhelmed and overshadowed by the grace that God gave David when he forgave him. Wow. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. You, you, you might be sitting here wondering today, well, is, it, is it possible for me? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of all the sins I've committed and all that I've done. Is, is, is Such terrible things. Is it possible that God could forgive me? Emphatically, I say to you, yes, he can. How do I know that? Well, I, I base that on what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. He died for you. He died to take your sin away. And he will. He will forgive you and cleanse you and restore you and make you whole. Today. Right now. You don't have to walk out of here the same way you walked in here. A burden can be lifted. Forgiveness can be granted. He's just waiting on you. And all you have to do is ask. Heavenly Father, I pray that that would happen today. There are some in this room who need to be uh, forgiven of their sins. They, they need to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I pray, dear Lord, that they would have the courage to do that this morning. There are others 